I'd like for you to take the Word of God today with me, and we'll turn to Titus chapter 1. You may already be there. You have your notes this morning in your bulletin. And um, going back to Crete, the island of Crete, and our man on Crete there by the name of Titus, right? Paul was writing to this man, and he was a Greek Christian, and the early church leader, he was a trusted companion of Paul. And the book here was written by Paul to Titus, and he wrote it between writing 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's not in that order in your Bible, but uh, chronologically he wrote 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy. Who did he write 1 Timothy to? If he wrote Titus to Titus, he wrote Timothy to Timothy, right? Timothy was in Ephesus, and um, he was a church leader there. He was a pastor. He labored there in the metropolitan area of Ephesus. But at the same time, Titus had his hands full on the island of Crete. Cretan culture was notorious in the ancient world. One of the Greek words for being a liar is kretizo. These people were infamous uh, for their treachery. They were known to be liars. Uh, the island cities were known as unsafe places, but they were also very much connected with the Mediterranean uh, world. Uh, so those cities were strategic points where Paul understood that if we get the gospel to these places, to these cities, it will have a, an impact. So I believe that cities are so important to God. Um, our world is urbanizing at an astounding rate. More than half the world lives in cities now. That wasn't true 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Very few people were living in cities as uh, relative to the rest of the world's population. But now more than half the world lives in a city. And so it is part of God's plan, I believe, in this day to get the gospel to as many places as possible. And he does that through, uh, through cities. That's where people are. I believe we should run to the cities with the gospel, not run away from them. So many people flee the cities. They want to get out. And um, that is a natural, uh, as part of just a natural fear. People are afraid of all of the bad things that go on. Uh, our city of Milwaukee, the crime has gotten bad here. But God is still doing something wonderful in his cities. So we need to get the gospel to where the gospel is needed. Amen. They say the good news is not good news unless it gets there in time. And if we are withholding the light, we hide the light under a bushel, that is disobeying God. He said, let your light sh so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And that's what we are called to be as Christians. And so, as bad as things were, Paul said we need to go to Crete, we need to go to Ephesus, we need to go to all these, uh, we need to go to Rome, we need to go to all the places that people are at. Um, Paul's great call, we see there, uh, letter A, Paul's purpose to stir the believers according to the faith of God's elect and according to the knowledge of the truth, to stir them to uh, become believers, to be grounded in the word of God, and then also to live godly lives. Too many Christians are uh, Christian in name only. They are not living godly lives. We need to be careful about hypocrisy. The Bible says, Jesus said, to not point out the sin in another brother when you have a large sin, a major sin in your own life, you point out these little problems in other people's lives. We need to be careful about hypocrisy. He said, get rid of the beam in your own eye before you go after the moat in somebody else's. Um, but that doesn't mean that we stop 
admonishing one another and encouraging and preaching the word and in reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all long suffering. And so there's a need to do that, but so many Christians don't do that because they don't want to be hypocrites. Which is a good thing, we don't want to be hypocrites, but if we're going to deal with somebody else's sin as the Bible commands us to, then we're also without hypocrisy. We've got to deal with our own problems. So many people don't want to do, deal with their own sin. That's why they don't, we don't have church discipline like we ought, uh, restoration in the church like we ought to. Godliness, though, is a favorite word with Paul. It means to uh, live out good works, practical holiness in our daily life. We'll read there verses 1 through 4. We're not going to get to uh, all these verses today, but I'd like to read them just to have context. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Of course, some is review and some is new territory. Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which is after godliness. Read verses 2 through 4 with me out loud. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Dear Father, I pray your blessing upon your word today. Thank you for uh, this uh, time that we have that we set aside once a week uh, to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, I do pray that you would bless it. I pray that uh, the folks here today would receive a, uh, encouragement, edification from your word. Of course, we know that the Bible uh, has stated that your word will not return void. It has a, uh, an impact wherever it's heard. So I do pray again today that you would use it in a mighty way. I do ask that you would help us to apply it to our life, not look at others and say, well, they need this, or somebody's not here. They should have been here to hear this because this is what they needed. But Lord, I believe that you have appointed uh, us as uh, hearers this morning. You've called us to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. So help us to apply it as uh, we are challenged and convicted this morning. I pray that you would uh, do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Please be seated. Titus chapter 2, if you would, hold your place there in verse 1, but we'll look at verse 2. Godliness, just a little bit of a review from last week. Titus 2.11, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to, what's the next two words? All men. All the Gentiles in Paul's day were being preached to. The gospel came to the Jews, but it was not just for the Jews. Amen? It was for all men. The grace of God hath appeared to all men. Praise God for that, because that includes all of us and all classes of men, all, uh, all different ethnicities, all people are precious to God. And so the grace, uh, very specifically, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. This is what he's talking about, the grace of God. Verse 12, teaching us. So grace, when we understand that grace has been given to us, this gift of God, uh, of, of salvation has been given to us, it teaches us 
something. When you get saved, you are not saved to continue the path that you were on. You are saved to change. Amen? We need to grow. We need to uh, become like Christ. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We talked about this in our Sunday school class earlier, but in John 17, Jesus is Uh, prayer, his high priestly prayer, he prayed uh, that God would not take his disciples out of this world. Um, In verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15 of John 17, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of this world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so uh, the word of God, the truth of God, should cleanse us and sanctify us and help us to grow. But we have to enact our will. We need to submit to God's word. As I mentioned earlier, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen? Uh, so too many churches are filled with hearers. And it's good to hear the word of God, but we need to apply it to our life. Amen? So he says there uh, that the grace of God teaches us to live like the Lord wants us to live, to deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, to live righteous and, 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 and godly in this present world. One of the problems in Crete was an abuse of the grace of God. See, they had churches there. They had home churches, house churches, but they had leaders that were carnal. Much like in Corinth, you had uh, people in the church that were carnal in Corinth, but the leaders of some of these churches in, uh, in Crete on this island, they were very uh, ungodly people. One of the problems there was an abuse of the grace of God. God saved us by his grace, amen? Uh, Romans chapter one, you can turn there if you like. But God saved us by his grace, amen? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We see that it's the grace of God that makes the change, amen? Uh, But this abuse of grace is sin. And these people on Crete, they were abusing God's grace. And, uh, And they would argue, well, God saved us. He gave us grace, so now we are free to sin, uh, grace is not a license to sin, okay? Um, this week at the police academy, I got certified in being able to use radar and LIDAR. How many of you know what radar would be used for by a police officer? Some of you know what they use that for, right? As to catch the speeders and to scientifically prove that somebody is speeding using a tool, a device. LIDAR is, uh, a LIDAR is a radar, basically, but uses a light. It uses uh, a laser. And um, police officers have discretion many times uh, to arrest or to not arrest somebody, depending on the offense. They many times have discretion to give a speeding ticket or what we want to hear is, I'm just going to give you a 
warning, right? How many of you like the warnings and not the tickets, amen? The warnings are free, the tickets cost something, right? And uh, I appreciate the warnings. Most of the time, as long as the person that's the offender, they're violating maybe a speed limit, they realize what they've done, if they uh, hopefully acknowledge maybe, and, and we want to be careful not to admit guilt because you still have your day in court, right? And uh, they, their response is one of respect and compliance with the law. Many times the officer is going to be more lenient. That's what we hope for, right? But grace is not the freedom to sin. Grace is the freedom to choose not to sin. Amen? Praise God for that option. We have power because of God's goodness to us, his grace in our life. The Holy Spirit gives us power and the ability to have victory over sin in our life. That's where that godly living can come into place. We cannot live godly apart from the grace of God. We need his grace in our life. We need the Holy Spirit's power. So we see here in verse number one, chapter six of Romans, Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in, what's the next word? Sin, that grace may abound. What does he say? Paul says, God forbid that we should live in sin, right? He said, how shall we that are dead to sin, meaning those that are saved, they've been delivered from uh, the body of this death, this sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Amen. Verse number uh, six, the Bible says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or from this time forward, we should not serve sin. That means to live ungodly. Is it easy to live godly? No, but that's why we have God's grace to help us. It's impossible apart from him, but uh, with God, all things are possible. We can have victory. An immature view of grace is to assume that God's law and God's God's grace are opposed to each other. God's law is not made void through grace. Christ came not to destroy the old religious system, but to build upon it. He came to finish the old covenant, to establish the new covenant. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all the moral laws. None of us can say that. Some people say, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. They say that about themselves. I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, you're breaking one of them right there by saying that because you're lying. (laughs) Nobody has been perfect. Uh, Nobody is perfect. Nobody can be perfect outside of Christ. And so um, he came and he actually did live a perfect life. He fulfilled the moral law. In his sacrificial death, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. And so now he gave us this new covenant. He is building upon, we don't have to keep uh, the ceremonial law and uh, the dietary things. All of those things were for that time, but Christ now has established this new covenant with us. He has given us access to uh, his heavenly, to our heavenly father, to his father, and we are now joint heirs with Christ. This is a new covenant that he's given to us. We have salvation. We have that hope of eternal life. Uh, this old man is crucified with him, as Romans 6, 6 says, that the body of sin might be destroyed. We don't have to serve sin anymore. So the person who uses the doctrine of grace to excuse sins is either not saved or does not understand what grace fully means. Titus 2, verse 12. Let's go back to Titus, and we'll look at verse number 12. 2, verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteous, and godly in this present world. Praise the Lord, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. And some of you know that song, right? Somewhere beyond the blue. 
And uh, praise the Lord, this world is just our temporary living place, but it's not our home. Now, some of you have a nice home. You've taken care of where you live and made it beautiful. Uh, I was just at somebody's house yesterday and saw that they had put in some nice landscaping. It looked nice. But you know what? What do we have to do with that landscaping? We have to work on it, don't we? We have to maintain it because this world is not, uh, is not perfect and it is falling apart. It is, uh, it, is, um, it is groaning, as Romans says. Paul said in Romans that the whole creation is groaning and travail. Uh, the, the, all of creation is suffering because of man. But, praise God, it's not our home. Death is just a momentary step into uh, eternity. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ, he is your, and he is uh, your savior, you are stepping in death. You're stepping into heaven. You're stepping into the presence of God. Uh, our body might be here, but our soul and our spirit, which are God's, they are in heaven with him. Uh, and in that moment of salvation, or the moment of death, we are uh, realizing our salvation, that is to be with Christ. So uh, he says there in verse number 13, Titus two thirteen. So our world's not our home, praise God, but we need to live godly in this, in this world that we live in, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That means that, yes, we're living here. We should seek to live godly. We should seek to be holy and to be uh, pure in our life. But we're not doing that for anything down here. We're looking forward to something even better, looking for that blessed hope, amen? And uh, he says, in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, what's the next word? Jesus Christ. Who's our Savior? Jesus. Not the church, not baptism, not ourself, nobody but Jesus can save us. He is the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. He says in verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity or sin, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works or godliness. So we see letter C today. We're on letter C. We saw Paul's call, letter A. We saw letter B, his purpose. Now let us see, we see his message. The hope of eternal life. Titus chapter one, this is our text. Titus one, verse two. In the hope of eternal life. In the hope of eternal life. The word hope in the Bible doesn't mean maybe it'll happen. There's a lot of maybes out there, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, you ask your parents, are we gonna go? Are we gonna go get ice cream? And mom says, maybe, maybe. That's what I say now to my kids. Are we gonna do this or that? Maybe. But that's not the kind of. And, and we were very hopeful as children, right? If mom said maybe, that meant we were gonna do it. And if we didn't do it, then you said. And she said, no. I said maybe. I said maybe we will do it, right? But when God says something. He means it. If God says that you can have hope, you can have hope. He means what he says, and he says what he means. And um, we see that hope in the Bible doesn't mean maybe it'll happen. It is a bedrock assurance, and it's based on the word of God. God's word does not change. People have said it changes, but they're wrong. You read it, you study it. The word of God is a sure foundation. 
Amen. If we didn't have a sure foundation, we would have nothing. He has given us his word. Nothing else is for sure in the world. Nothing else is for sure in life. Uh, Nothing is for sure except for God's word. Amen. And when it says we have hope, we have hope. Um, Number one there, you see in verse number two, the first subpoint under letter C is that God cannot lie. In the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. God cannot lie. It doesn't say God doesn't lie and God will not lie, but I think, it, I think it's important. It says he cannot lie because that would go against his character. You know, this is not debating whether he has power to do something or not. God is all-powerful. But his character is one of truth. God is love, God is holy, God is righteous, and God cannot lie. God's word has the same character as God. It cannot lie. He doesn't lie. He cannot lie. Praise the Lord for that. And so uh, he cannot lie. Cretans, as I said earlier, the people that lived on Crete, they were known as liars, I think it's significant that Paul's telling them this. God cannot lie. They were known as liars. The most famous indictment against the Cretans came from the pen of one of uh, the Cretan philosophers named uh, Epimenides, and Paul actually quotes him in verse number 12. Of themselves, he's speaking of the Cretans, even a prophet of their own said, the Cretans are always, what is the next word, verse 12? You see that there? Always liars. Come on, let's read it again. Paul say, he says that the Cretans are always, what? Liars. And actually, it's not Paul that's saying. He's just quoting uh, one of their own. <laughs> they were known as liars. One of their own said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. That statement has become known as the Epimenides paradox. If a liar tells you he is a liar, do you believe him? It's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. You ever had that problem? You know, people that joke around all the time, they're always sarcastic. It's hard to tell if they're telling the truth. And uh, that's kind of scary, right? And uh, if you're, I, and I'm like that. I'm a jokester. I love, to, I love to joke around. I've got that dry sense of humor with people sometimes. And, and uh, sometimes it backfires because now I'm, I'm serious now. I'm like, come on, man, come on. Are you really serious? And we got to be careful about that. Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, right? We need to be uh, a people of our word and always follow through and, and not lie. I like to joke around, though. I do. Uh, but uh, these guys, they were liars. If a liar tells you he's a liar, do you believe him? Uh, Cretans believed Greek gods were uh, men and women elevated to deities. They thought they were men that were elevated to deities through their uh, services, benevolence, and their gifts to mankind. It was a theology from below rather than from above. They held that the majority of the gods were born on their island, including the chief man become God named Zeus, who is allegedly buried there. So in their minds, if you think as the people that Paul was uh, dealing with here through Titus, these Cretans, in their mind... Uh, Crete was a central place of the worship of the gods, their island. The mythology was so entrenched in Cretan culture that the churches in Paul's day were uh, integrating their understanding of the Christian god, Jehovah, with the prevailing views about the Greek gods, mainly Zeus. 
It is recorded that Zeus seduced women by any means necessary, even by assuming godlike characteristics to get what he wanted. In a nutshell, Zeus was a liar, and the Cretans immortalized him for this. They took pride in his shady character and underhanded ways. So you get the idea of what Paul was dealing with here? These people were, they, they worshipped liars. We are giving Cretans a hard time here, but what about in our day and age, in our world, in our culture? How about us? Can we lie and do we lie ourselves? Like I said earlier, the guy that says, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments, well, he's breaking the one that says, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? And, uh, but many times we say, well, I never lie. Well, there's more than one way to lie, isn't there? Uh, we lie to save face. Sometimes we even lie to avoid hurting other people's feelings. Got to be careful. I mean, truth is truth is truth, right? Um, we lie to impress others. We lie to get out of work. We falsify things at times. You know, we're not honest and completely transparent. We lie to hide uh, our sin. We hide to prevent conflict and to get out of work. Many more reasons, of course. Um, even world religions today, not just in the Greek culture, but world religions today, many of them uh, have a view that lying is acceptable. Uh, in the Quran, the Quran describes Allah, their God, as a deceiver. Islam teaches that it's, uh, it's okay to lie or to deny their faith if they're being persecuted and harassed. That's called taqiyah, advancing Islam, and it's okay to lie in that situation. The Bible doesn't teach us that. We shouldn't lie uh, in that situation. In fact, Jesus says, don't deny me. Don't deny the faith. Don't deny me. We, uh, the word of God is truth, and so uh, Christianity should be built on the word of God and should be built on truth and honesty. God is God of truth. Many other world religions practice other things, but uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen. I want you to tell about our God. I want you to hear about our God. Jehovah God is not a man that he should lie. See, many times people uh, create a God in their own image. They want a God their God to be relatable to them, which is absolutely understandable. But they want a God that is like their nature, human nature, and our sin nature. Our sin nature is predisposed to dishonesty. Think about what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They lied, right? There was a lot of lying going on. Uh, with Cain and Abel, Cain was not transparent, was not honest with God about his sin. So many people want a God that uh, mirrors their human nature or their sin nature. They want that relatability. But God understands that. God understands we need somebody that we can relate to. We need, to. we need to be able to relate to God. But Jesus came as a perfect man who didn't lie, amen? But he can relate to us and we can relate to him in that human experience. He suffered, he, he bled, he wept, he felt uh, temptation, he went through all of those things. 
and we can relate to him that way, but praise God, he didn't wallow in the sin that we have uh, been pulled out of. But God is not a man, as he says there in Numbers 23, Moses writes, God is not a man that he should lie, neither is the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said that he should not do it, or hath he, not, or hath he spoken and should not make it good? God keeps his word, praise God for that. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in that which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. By the way, our hope uh, in others, the amount of hope that we place in somebody really depends on how honest that person is. Because <laughs> if, if, uh, if mom says we're going to get ice cream, well, I can believe mom. But if my little sister, my older sister said it, I'm not so sure sometimes, you know? And you have siblings maybe like that, and they make stories up, and that's just how kids are, right? But your, your faith and your hope, uh, the amount of hope that you can have is based on how honest that person is. But if God never lies and God is always true, then we can place our hope in him without any kind of worry or doubt that it's not going to come to pass because God always keeps his promise. And by the way, be, not just that he is always honest and true, but he is all-powerful. He can make it good. And so Hebrews six eighteen, it is impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation then who have fled for refuge to lay a hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into within the veil. We can uh, take joy and consolation in knowing that when we put our hope in God, we have consolation and we have a sure foundation. And when God says it, it will come to pass. God always keeps his word. There are people in this world that, that are honest and they have good intentions, but they can't always make, uh, make good on their promise just because we can't always do everything, right? Sometimes we let people down. I hate letting people down. That's sometimes not a good thing, you know? Not good to be a people pleaser, right? You gotta work on that. But there's times where I want, to, I want to do the best for somebody, and I really want to come through for them, but it is just impossible. But God can do all things, amen? And when he says he's going to do it, he will keep his word. Not only God cannot lie, but God has promised, number two today. When God promises, he's not saying, I'll try. He, mean, he means I can and I will. You need to have hope today in the Lord. Some of you have lost your, your hope and uh, we went through COVID. I know that's hard to believe. It's been three years now uh, since that all started. But uh, some people just, they, they lost hope and in, in, they lost faith. Maybe we lost faith in people. We've lost faith in, uh, in, in a lot of things in our culture, in our, in our world that we thought we could trust. But praise God, we have hope, true hope. And you need to put your hope in the Lord today. Stop putting your hope in the news, in the government even in good people. Stop putting your hope in the church. 
Churches fail people. It's, uh, it is something that God has instituted, but it is run by humans. We make mistakes. We let people down. But God always follows through, and that is who we need to put our hope in this morning. Put your hope in the Lord. When he says he's going to do it, he's not saying, I'll try. He means I can, and I will. Sometimes uh, we say, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Well, if God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Amen? <laughs> and so D.L. Moody said, God has never made a promise that was too good to be true. God always can fulfill his word. God planned your salvation. You see there in verse number two, in the hope of eternal life. Praise God, we have hope. We are gonna see God. We're gonna be free from this, this, uh, this body of sin. But we have hope in eternal life, which God that cannot lie, what did he do? He promised before the world began. God planned your salvation before this planet was swung into space. Before the world began, God had a plan. Amen. Salvation is not an ambulance brought to a wreck. It was in the heart of, and mind of God before anything ever happened, before the world began. Praise the Lord for that. God has a plan. Sometimes we say, well, God doesn't know what's going on right now. God's, God must have forgotten about me. God doesn't care. Sometimes we feel those things. That's a part of our human experience. We, we go through all of those emotions. That's real, isn't it? We feel those things. But we have to go back to the truth. What is the reality what is real, not what we feel. Well, many times what we feel is not real, right? Got to be careful that we don't live our life emotionally. We got we to gotta put our trust. When, whenever we come to that road and, and we feel, oh, God has forgotten. That's a temptation, isn't it? That's a temptation to doubt the Lord. But we got to go back and remind ourselves, God's never failed us. God's always kept his word. God's always done the right thing. I love the phrase, God is always good and God is always right. Amen? God is always good and God is always right. Get your eyes off of man. So many times we put our eyes on man. That's why we, we go through this. That's why we get disillusioned with the Lord because we're looking to a representative of God and not really at God. Preachers are just representatives of God. But preachers make mistakes sometimes. Uh, you're, uh, maybe you have a, a lady that you look up to. Your mother in the faith or father in the faith, whoever it is that you look up to, this is the person that discipled you. This is the person that has helped you from day one. This is the person that you put your trust in. But they can let you down. But look beyond them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But his intention was to get his followers to look to the Lord Look to the Lord. John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Uh, you know, there was a, probably a temptation to become jealous. You know, he had all these disciples, John the Baptist did, but he said, go to Jesus. That is who I'm pointing to. Jesus said, look to the Lamb of God. Here's the Lamb of God. Behold him. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. That's what John said. So uh, as we lead people, point them to Christ. And as you follow somebody, look to Jesus. 
That is where our hope is found. We have a bedrock assurance based on God's word in a world where deception and lies abound. You don't know who to trust. Temp, uh, take comfort in knowing. Take comfort in the reality that God doesn't lie. Praise God for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would stand with me to your feet as we go to the Lord in prayer here, I ask that you would pray with me. If you'd like to come to the altar at this point, you can. Most important question this morning, are you ready to meet God? If you were to stand at heaven's gate and God were to say, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? What would you tell him? Some people say, well, I'm good. The Bible says there's none good. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, you might say, well, I'm pretty good. <laughs> well, listen, uh, pretty good doesn't cut it. God is holy, he's perfect, he's righteous. You cannot stand the presence of sin. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. There's some this morning that say, well, I know that Jesus is my savior because I put my faith and trust and complete dependence upon him to save me. I'm not trusting in good works. I'm not trusting in my baptism. I'm not trusting in church membership. You have put your faith in Jesus. Him and him alone is the acronym for faith, forsaking all, I trust him. There has to come a point in your life where you forsake all. Paul turned his back on his education. He turned his back on his religious upbringing. He embraced Jesus, the one who he had been persecuting, the one whose followers he had been persecuting. But he embraced him. Why? Because he came to the realization that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who bled and died and the only one that could pay for our sins. He's God's son. And so this morning, if you're putting your faith in Jesus, praise God for you. But if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, this is the day of your salvation. We want to rejoice with you and you come to Christ. We like to counsel you in the word of God. And so uh, as I pray and when I say amen, I'd like for you to step out of your pew and come down to the front. We'll have somebody counsel you from the word of God. And... Um, it is your choice, it is your choice. God does not force his way in. So thankful for being able to counsel with uh, a man yesterday and Brother Larry was with me and he described the picture of Jesus knocking on the heart's door as that painting has depicted. And as Jesus stands there and knocks at the door, there's something missing on that door. On the outside, there is no door handle because Jesus does not force his way in. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3, if any man hear, hear my voice, open the door. He says, then I'll come. I'll come in. You have to open your door to Jesus. This is a, a choice that you have to make. So this morning, we'd love to counsel you from the word of God how you can be saved. Christian, believer this morning, I want you to come and pray. Ask God to restore some hope in your life. Some of you despaired of, of all of the things that are going on. Who can we trust well, we can always trust God, praise God, for his foundation, the word of God. He has given us a, a book that we can trust. We thank, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers, who leads us and guides us into truth. So put your trust in the Lord once again. Father, Lord, I do pray that you bless this time of invitation. I pray that you'd work in our hearts, give us a, a time of, of 
understanding. We've been convicted maybe of some things, but help us to realize what path you want us to go on. For the unbeliever, Lord, I do pray, or the one that's not saved yet, I pray that they would uh, right now say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus to be my savior, to make it personal. I pray that they would stop trusting other things. Lord, I do pray that you would uh, work in the life of every believer here that uh, maybe is struggling. I pray that you would give them comfort and, and some hope this morning. And Lord, help us to get our eyes off of things, eyes off of the world, and our eyes onto Jesus, who is our author and finisher of our faith. I pray that you bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name.